On this week's episode of Ride the Lightning, the Tesla unofficial podcast, a new report suggests that a prototype of Tesla's $25,000 Model 2 might already exist. Plus, Giga Texas hits a new production milestone, I got to drive a Model S Plaid, and more. What's happening, friends? Ryan McCaffrey with you for episode 315 of Ride the Lightning for August 15th, 2021. Daisy the Boxer to my left. And let me start right there with her, actually, because so many of you have expressed such kindness and concern for her as she continues to recover from her heart condition. Had her six-month follow-up. This was a big one. Had that this week, and the news was thankfully once again good. Her heart is now pretty much down to normal size. Her heart function, so her heart muscle, the strength of her heart pumping, is still not there. That's still in a not great place, but it does continue to improve little by little. So uh, actually, we got to cut off one of the medications, which was great. So we're still we've still got a whole battery of stuff, but she continues to do well, uh, and that really nothing makes me happier than that. So I'm extremely grateful for that good news. And by the way, I guess I should say the cardiologist, I asked point blank, has it been long enough where you can definitively say one way or the other that yes, this was definitely a food induced, a diet induced situation. And she said, oh yeah, it definitely is. She would not have made this good of a recovery if this were a genetic situation. So definitely food induced. So Daisy uh, got bit by this whole grain-free thing, which uh, I want to thank a couple of you out there, sent me an article while I was on vacation about uh, peas and lentils being uh, sort of a big specific piece of the puzzle here, according to some new research by Tufts University. So uh, again, I'm not one to tell anybody what to do with their lives. Uh, I'm not a veterinarian. I'm not a veterinary cardiologist, but I I would just strongly advise if you are feeding your dog a grain-free diet, do some more research, read up on this stuff as I have, and I would strongly urge you to consider switching away from a grain-free diet. Uh, But I did have a great time on vacation, not just coming back to that good Daisy news, but yeah, we had a wonderful time away. Uh, It was, as I said before I left, it was the first break I've taken from this podcast in two years. And while I love doing the podcast every week, and I hope all of you enjoyed the Leilani Munter interview that I had for you while I was gone, it was nice to just step away and not think about it and just have a total break, unplug, and just be with my family. So had a really nice time. And again, thank you to all of you for for allowing me to do that, for uh, listening to that vacation episode. I hope you enjoyed it. And now I am back for your quote-unquote live episodes each and every week. Let me start with a couple of programming notes. One, AI Day has been set for August 19th. That is next week. Now, the text on the invitation is interesting. Check this out. It's courtesy of Omar from the Whole Mars blog, who posted it on Twitter. It says, quote, Join us in Palo Alto, California on August 19th at 5 p.m. Pacific. This invite-only event will feature a keynote by Elon, hardware and software demos from Tesla engineers, 
test rides and Model S Plaid, and more. Attendees will be among the first to see our latest developments in supercomputing and neural network training. They'll also get an inside look at what's next for AI at Tesla beyond our vehicle fleet, end quote. Well, I have to wonder there what they mean by beyond our vehicle fleet. Now, I've seen some fantastical theories out there of robotics and all kinds of crazy stuff, and I hope all of that proves to be true. But the first most grounded thought that comes to mind for me is maybe something with AI-managed battery storage pardon me, on, on both small and large scales pertaining to the energy side of the Tesla business, maybe. That's, that's the first thing, just again, trying to keep my expectations tempered. If it's something more grandiose than that, then great, I will look forward to hearing about it. But uh, that was that was my first thought there. But either way, look for my recap of that event with, of course, audio clip highlights from it on next week's podcast. So while we're on the subject of key release dates or just dates in general for Tesla, I guess I should say, the annual Tesla shareholder meeting will be on October 7th which is even later than it was last year when it was in late September. I will again, of course, have a full recap and analysis as I always do of the big Tesla events. And maybe I'll even be lucky enough to be invited as I was last year. So we'll see how that one goes. Finally, one more date to mark on your calendar. It's two days after the shareholder event. So we know where Elon will be going right after the shareholder event. And that is to Berlin. Elon tweeting, Giga Berlin Brandenburg County Fair and Factory Tour on October 9th. Priority will be for residents of Brandenburg and Berlin, but it's also open to the general public, end quote. So if I have any German listeners out there, you might want to go check this out. In fact, I would highly recommend you take the opportunity to do so. It'll be a should be a fun time with that. All right, five minutes into the podcast, let me get to the proper Tesla news of the week. Has the first prototype of the, air quotes, Model 2, Tesla's upcoming smaller car that's going to have a base price of $25,000, has that first prototype already been built? This story comes via Inside EVs, who writes, The highly anticipated $25,000 compact electric car developed by Tesla China apparently has reached the prototype stage, at least according to a well-known local industry leaker uh, going, and they list their name, which is in Chinese characters that I can't read. He posted on Chinese microblogging website Sina Weibo that the first prototype has been completed and most component suppliers have been lined up, adding that trial production has been planned for the end of this year. While you should obviously take this for what it is, an unconfirmed rumor, Tesla owner and influencer Ray for Tesla has posted the Chinese leaker's message on Twitter, adding that it comes from a, quote, pretty reliable source who previously brought several leaks to, sur- to the surface that proved to be true. Ray tweeting, quote, the elusive cheaper compact model whatever may come sooner than you think. The prototype is said to have been completed and most component suppliers have been lined up. Trial production, as you just heard, has been uh, planned for the end of 2021. He says, I would put some weight on this rumor as it comes from a pretty reliable source. He brought several leaks to the surface before, which later turned out to be true. However, like anything else, past performance 
is no guarantee of future results. Take it with a grain of salt, end quote. Well, I have cited Ray on this podcast before, and indeed, his track record with Tesla China rumors specifically has been pretty good. So, if this is indeed true, the question is, how is this car going to get done? Because without a factory expansion in Shanghai, I don't see how Tesla can build this. So either that project, meaning the Giga Shanghai expansion, the second expansion, needs to get started soon, or what, do you stop making the Model 3 in China and use the Model 3 line that's already in place there? I mean, maybe I'm overthinking this, but we know there's the Model 3 line, and in the the additional wing of the building that was added about a year ago now, the Model Y had its production line added. So I have not heard of any additional construction there to accommodate something like another entire high-volume car, which that's only what leads me to believe, hey, is it if this thing's coming this soon, is it possible that they would shut down Model 3 production in China specifically in favor of this? I don't know, but we'll see what happens. Uh, now, we know that Tesla China can move very quickly because they got that aforementioned initial Model 3 production facility turned from a dirt patch into a factory that was spitting out cars in under a year. Then, as I said, the Model Y expansion happened pretty quickly too. But if trial production were to really get started by the end of 2021, then again, there's got to be somewhere that it's going to get built. So I'm eager to learn about this project, not only the vehicle itself, but the logistics of it as well. We know it's going to be built in China and initially only sold there, but it will eventually be sold worldwide. So what will the timeline on that look like? And will that vehicle ever be built on multiple continents similar to the, uh, well, presently just the Model 3, well, Model 3 and the Model Y are both built in the US and China, two continents. And if so, how long will that Take So many, many unanswered questions left to be had about the Model 2, including, of course, the name of it and what it looks like. But the rumors are heating up here. Now, next up this week, speaking of already potentially built prototypes, has the first Texas-built Model Y, I guess you wouldn't call that a prototype, but go with me on this, has the first Texas-built Model Y also been completed? This story comes via Clean Technica. Joe Tegmeyer, a member of the Giga Texas drone pilot group Quad Squad, shared some interesting news in his latest daily update on Giga Texas's progress. Clean Technica writing that Tegmeyer said that he just spoke to a trusted source who works on the site and who has knowledge of the construction and timelines of Giga Texas, and he learned some interesting news. The largest piece being that Tesla will produce its first full test Model Y at Giga Texas this week, meaning it should, if this rumor is correct, already be done by the time any of you hear this, the week that's just been completed. Clean Technica continues, that means it will be fully operational, but not street legal. That's what a, a test build would be. Uh, he was also told that as far as production of the Model Y is concerned, Giga Texas is farther along than Giga Berlin by about a month at the present time. Quote, The biggest thing I'd like to talk about today is some breaking news from a trusted on-site source. 
The source is familiar with the Giga Texas construction as well as some other Giga factories. And during that conversation confirmed that Giga Texas in terms of the production of the Model Y is ahead of Giga Berlin probably by about a month or so. Expect the first fully produced test Model Y which will be running operational but not street legal in the next week here at Giga Texas. And that would include the stampings, the castings, the welding, the painting, the batteries, everything, a full test running prototype. It's also used for training new employees. And I also found out that Tesla is convinced that within the next two months, they will have production Model Ys coming out of Giga Texas. First of all, this is awesome news. Second of all, in trying to analyze the bigger picture on this, as I like to do, it seems likely to me with this current timeline and what we know so far that the plan B of starting with the 2170 cells in Texas until the 4680s are really ready for volume production is probably going to happen. They are probably going to go to plan B. Again, this is my interpretation. I am not stating this as fact. This is my interpretation of this rumor. Now, if that does happen, it probably would then buy Tesla a lot of time. If they're not going to start with the 4680s on day one, If as long as they've got the, enough supply on the 2170s, they can probably just keep right on rolling with that until they're ready. And presumably, the Y in Berlin uh, could happen on, uh, on a temporary 2170 cell arrangement as well. And if that does come to fruition, if Berlin and Texas both get started with plan B, the 2170 cells, I suspect it would probably mean that the initial run of production ready 4680 cells would probably be used to get the Cybertruck into production. Since not only does that vehicle reportedly have a million plus reservations, but I would also bet lunch that there is no plan B for batteries on the Cybertruck. It's gotta be the 4680s or bust on that thing because there's just no other way for Tesla to hit a $70,000 price point on a 500 mile range truck. They're gonna need the 4680s to pull that off. So uh, another big big story to keep an eye on here, which, which is uh, the, new, the new or not new Model Ys at the definitely new factories. Speaking of the Cybertruck, Tesla has finally, and I might add very quietly, admitted to what has been obvious for some time, I've been talking about it for a while, and that is the Cybertruck will not start production until next year. On the Cybertruck page, tesla.com slash Cybertruck, if you go to reserve it, click that button, the text at the bottom of that screen says, fully refundable, you will be able to complete your configuration as production nears in 2022. So there you go. That confirms it. Now, not to be too pessimistic here, but notice that they don't say early 2022 or specifically February 22 or even spring 2022. They just say 2022. Now that is the smart cover your backside way to message this, of course, but I still thought that was worth pointing out. Probably nothing to really read into there, but yeah, just Tesla uh, covering their bases just in case the timeline happens to move again. Next up this week, Tesla's aluminum alloys patent hints at ultra-tough EVs that are also cheaper to produce. 
This story comes via Teslarati, who writes, By using aluminum alloys that were developed by the company, Tesla may be able to usher in a new breed of electric cars that are incredibly tough while being cheaper to produce. The patent, titled Die-Cast Aluminum Alloys for Structural Components, describes an aluminum alloy that is both extremely tough and ductile. The aluminum alloy would not require further processing as well, allowing the company to improve its production costs. In the patent's description, Tesla noted that commercial cast aluminum alloys, such as those used for electric vehicle chassis, need to be both strong and ductile. Aluminum alloy components are typically formed by casting. If produced well, casted parts could be produced quickly and reliably, and they should maintain their structural properties well. Alloys that cannot be casted well, however, result in hot tearing, which causes issues. Tesla emphasized that numerous structural components made of aluminum alloys today may require processes like heat treating, which improves strength, hardness, ductility, and corrosion resistance. These processes ensure quality, but they also require large capex, extended processing times, and potential yield losses. With this in mind, Tesla noted that it would be preferable to produce aluminum alloys with high yield strengths and sufficient ductility while requiring no heat treatment. I bring this story up not only because it's certainly interesting, because here's Tesla applying their first principles problem solving to material science once again. See Cybertruck and the custom 30X alloy they're using for the stainless steel bodies there. But also, I bring this up because Elon Musk liked this tweet when Teslarati posted it. That, I'm re- yes, I admit I'm reading between the lines here, but that like would seem to suggest that Elon is happy to see this get reported on, and thus that he's excited about what the company is doing with this new process, this new patented process. And of course, I I wonder if something like the aforementioned quote-unquote Model 2, aka the highest volume car that Tesla intends to make, could end up being the primary beneficiary of something like what this patent is laying out. Next up this week, Tesla has agreed to pay $1.5 million to settle claims a software update temporarily reduced maximum battery voltage in 1,743 Model S sedans, according to court documents. This story comes via Reuters, who writes, Owners of the vehicles will get $625 each, which is, quote, many times the prorated value of the temporarily reduced maximum voltage, according to the proposed settlement documents filed last week in the U.S. District Court in San Francisco. Lawyers for the owners who sued said the, quote, voltage limitation was temporary with a 10% reduction lasting about three months and a smaller 7% reduction lasting another seven months before the corrective update was released in March of 2020, end quote. Elon took to Twitter to comment on this, acknowledging the settlement and saying, quote, if we are wrong, we are wrong. In this case, we were, end quote. But he also followed up saying, quote, Tesla policy is never to give in to false claims, even if we would lose, and never to fight true claims, even if we would win, end quote. And to that, I say, good of Elon to say so here, because 
most CEOs, I mean, is it great that this happened to begin with? No, but things happen and it's how you respond to them, how you adapt, how you learn from it and move on. And most CEOs, I think you would kindly agree, of any company, no matter what industry, probably wouldn't comment at all after their company just got a bad headline, which let's be honest, that's what this was. You know, Tesla having to settle something or choosing to settle something that cost them money because they did something wrong, that's that's a bad headline. But anyway, uh, I believe the affected 1,700 plus folks here are all much older Model S's. So if any of those folks that are affected are in my audience, I would presume that you will get a check in the mail at some point. I admit I have no idea how long something like that might take. Now, the story did say, quote, a U.S. judge set a December 9th hearing on the proposed settlement, end quote. So it's probably going to be a little while yet before your compensation arrives. It'll almost certainly be next year. But still, again, at least Tesla was willing to settle and do the right thing after a wrong thing here. And I I hope that the lesson is that they won't do anything like this again to any of the other cars at any point in the future. Speaking of the Model S, as a busy Tesla Newsweek rolls on, its price has gone up $5,000. The Model S Long Range now starts at $90,000, and to be totally honest with you, I think it's going to go up another five before the year ends. Now, again, this just me saying that. I don't have a source whispering it. I'm just observing what's been going on with everything over the course of 2021 with the with the numerous smaller price increases on the 3 and the Y. We've already had a price increase on the S and the Plaid. So th- that's just, this is me interpreting all of that and saying, I think the odds are here as we sit in August that we're probably going to get another $5,000 price increase on the S and the X before 2021 draws to a close. Because it's just the perfect storm of renewed demand for the Model S after the long-awaited refresh, plus the ongoing semiconductor shortages and raw materials cost crunches that have been affecting Tesla and everyone else this year as well. And yes, as I did very briefly mention there, the Model X also saw that same bump. And if you're curious... The Model X now starts at $100,000 for the long range, and it's $120,000 for the Plaid X. Now, strange that it's only a $20,000 gap between the two models of the X, whereas with the S, it is a $40,000 delta between the long range and the Plaid. I mean, sure, the Plaid S is way nuttier than the Plaid X performance-wise. But that's still, I just still find that strange. I mean, I guess Tesla probably figures that more buyers are willing to pay the premium for the Plaid S and that they're just not going to get as many takers for the Plaid X. Uh, What else? Yes, I'm still going. Two more stories this week. I know some of you are probably eager to hear about my experience with the Plaid S, I'll get to that after the Ride the Lightning hotline towards the end of the show during my little here's what's going on with me segment. But anyway, continuing the news, the first three Model Ys have arrived in Australia heralding a local launch of the popular electric car in the imminent future. 
Uh, this story was sent to me by listener Steve McKeering from Brisbane, and the story comes from thedriven.io, who writes, quote, There are one of each variant, a standard range, a long range, and a performance, according to Veda Prime, who tracks Tesla ships heading for Australia and New Zealand, and who broke the news on Twitter on uh, last week. While three Model Ys were shipped to New Zealand in July of 2020, those vehicles were likely headed for testing in cold weather proving grounds. It was not known at the time if those vehicles were left-hand or right-hand drive, but importantly, the latest batch consists of right-hand drive vehicles. And according to photos seen by Veda Prime, the VINs on three vehicles on display at Tesla's Model Y launch in Hong Kong last week correlate closely with the vehicles shipped to Australia, indicating that they are Shanghai-built. As Veda Prime notes, these three vehicles could be used for a number of purposes, from ANCAP testing to homologation ahead of being added to the Road Vehicle Certification System, or RVCS, or for staff education as well. Anyway, uh, three Model Y finally arriving in uh, in Australia as the harbinger of many more Model Y to land on that on those shores is no doubt very very welcome news for my many Australian listeners. The Model Y will finally be available to all of you very soon. And by the way, no surprise that Australia's Model Ys are going to be coming from Shanghai. It's just a much, much shorter trip. It's as simple as that. Plus, on top of that, Fremont just can't spare any. Every single one that's being built here is going to an ever-growing waiting list in the United States. Shanghai has been really good about being able to produce enough vehicles to export some to Europe and now Hong Kong and soon Australia as well. Uh, One other little footnote that occurs to me here. The wait for the Model Y, uh, for in Australia specifically, at least it, while it hasn't been short, it's at least relatively speaking much shorter than how agonizingly long you guys had to wait for the Model Three. That was years. This is uh, more of a more measured in months on the Model Y wait. Still, I know not ideal. You'd like to have a glo- a worldwide simultaneous global rollout, and hopefully Tesla will be able to scale up enough one day to achieve that. But for now, they are at least uh, heading your way to Australia. Finally this week, Tesla released its 2020 Environmental Impact Report, and it is 94 pages long, so I am not even going to attempt to dig into all of it. But the top-line highlight is this, quote, In 2020, the global fleet of Tesla vehicles and solar panels enabled our customers to avoid emitting 5 million metric tons of CO2 equivalent. And here's a bonus nugget, just to give a little context for the progress that Tesla has made in the efficiency and environmental impact of its vehicles over its first nine years of making its own cars at its own factory. Quote, In the early days of Model S production, we were able to achieve efficiency of 3.1 EPA miles per kilowatt hour. Today, our most efficient Model 3 Standard Range Plus achieves an EPA rating of 5.1 miles per kilowatt hour, 
higher than any EV in production to date. And the, the Model Y, if you're curious, it's the most efficient electric SUV in the world at 4.2 miles per kilowatt hour. Now, if you would like to pursue, or excuse me, peruse, flip the letters there, peruse the whole thing, uh, you can find it as one of the top tweets on the at Tesla Twitter account. I will say, I think Tesla doesn't do a great job of surfacing this stuff right on the tesla.com homepage. Uh, that would be a, a bit of constructive feedback that I would have for them. They used to have like a really direct blog link and now it's, it's still there, it's off to the side, but anyway, that's neither here nor there. But uh, the point here, I love that they put out all of this data, I really do, because transparency is good. It's always good, particularly when the data reinforces your own company's mission. The, the data is backing up what you're trying to do, so that is really cool to read from Tesla. Actually, you know, before I do move on to the Ride the Lightning hotline and later my impressions of driving the Plaid S, just one more topic, uh, one more note on the subject of the new Model S. I've heard from listeners this week. I've been seeing the posts in the community, and I just want to extend my empathies and and, uh, and just well wishes to the Model S owners, the would-be ones who are waiting on a new Model S. People that have had orders for months and months were getting emails this week saying their orders were pushed back again. If you put in an order for a new Model S today, it is a seven to eight month wait. It's currently showing March or April. Now, if you do step up to Plaid, they'll get it to you a little quicker. That's showing January to February that you're still talking about a, a four, you know, four, five, five, six month wait. I mean, it's just crazy what's going on with the new Model S, and I just don't know why. Is it is it as simple as the components, the component shortage, the semiconductor shortage, and all of the available components there are going into the threes and the Ys? Is it, I mean, I've seen it posited in the community of, you know, that there was one uh, Model S Plaid fire that that sort of has seemingly been unexplained, at least publicly so far. And did Tesla discover something about that that's causing them to re-engineer something? And so, you know, or 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 is it simply maybe it's just a, you know, the, the new Model S has the MCU3 in it, the 10 teraflop infotainment system uh, with the three screens. And is it simply maybe those chips are, you know, is it, what is it about the new Model S that's causing these incredible delays? I just, I mean, it's, I'm, I'm sure Tesla's not, you know, they're not, not that they're doing it on purpose, but you've got customers who, you know, these are the customers spending the most money with you. These are people spending 90, 100, 120, $140,000 with you. And that you just, their orders keep getting pushed back, their delivery dates, I should say, keep getting pushed back and back and back. And it's just, it's a, it's, it's a bummer to read. And, you know, I know it's a first world problem, right? Oh, you're waiting on your fancy new electric car, but still, you know, you're, you're trying to buy something and the, the timeline, the goalpost keeps getting moved on you. And that's a frustrating thing. So I hope that this uh, resolves soon, whatever it is, whatever the situation really is, I do hope it gets resolved soon and all of you start getting your Model S's and the Model X too. We're still waiting on that. 
All right, with that, let me take a quick, short little musical interlude here, come back with some of your calls in the Ride the Lightning hotline, and then later, as promised, I will tell you about my time behind the wheel of the Model S Plaid. Stay tuned. This is Steve Downs, the voice of Master Chief, Sierra 117. You're listening to Ride the Lightning, the Tesla unofficial podcast. You know, that Cybertruck looks a lot like a warthog, doesn't it? Master Chief, out. Time for the Ride the Lightning Hotline. Your questions, your comments, your Tesla discussion topics. If you would like to call in and be a part of the podcast, I welcome you. I invite you to do so. There are two easy ways to do it. You can either call in using your smartphone's built-in voice recording software. So you just take that, record it onto your phone, and then email the file to me at teslapodcast at gmail.com. Please try to keep your call to 90 seconds or less so that I can get through as many callers each week as possible. Or you can take that same call and actually call in with it. You just leave a message on the Ride the Lightning hotline. It's a toll-free number that you call, and that number is 1-888-989-8752. Again, that's one 888-989-TSLA. And if you know someone special with an upcoming birthday, anniversary, graduation, or some other special occasion... You can give them a unique gift of recorded voices from friends and family telling them why they're special. The recordings can be podcasted like I do with them or put onto a keepsake. Visit lifeonrecord.com to learn more, and we'll kick it off with Jared from Seattle. Hi, Ryan. This is Jared from Seattle calling. Thanks, as always, for the time you put into this podcast. I really appreciate it. I'm calling in response to the news that the new Model Ys from Fremont are now shipping with HEPA filters and bioweapon defense mode. That is awesome. As an existing Model Y owner from this past spring, I'm curious if you think there will one day be a way for existing Model Y owners to upgrade to this HEPA filter, or if the body of the car is just not designed for such a large filter. If anyone from Tesla is listening, at least this Model Y owner is super interested in such an upgrade, so please, please offer one. I hope Daisy continues to do well, and happy electric motoring, everyone. Jared, it's always great to hear from you. Now, I have good news. Here's the report from Drive Tesla Canada, who writes, quote, according to an update sent to Tesla employees and reported by Sawyer Merritt on Twitter, the retrofit will soon be available on the Tesla shop as well as in the mobile app as an in-app purchase. Drive Tesla has also been able to independently verify the update. After the purchase, owners will be required to visit a service center to complete the retrofit. The price has not yet been determined, but will include the cost of labor for installation. Tesla currently sells a similar kit for the Model X that costs $500. That's in U.S. dollars. So the price should be similar to that. An exact timeline was not provided in the update, only that it is not available yet and will be added to the Tesla shop and mobile app when ready, end quote. So that is excellent to hear. Once it rolls out, I will certainly mention it on the podcast for all of you Model Y owners out there who are interested in that upgrade. My friend Andy Sly from Louisville, Kentucky is up next to talk about Tesla's onboarding experience when you first buy the car. Go ahead, Andy. 
Hey, Ryan, it's Andy Sly. I was calling in regards to your last podcast where you mentioned the Tesla onboarding experience probably needs the most improvement. And I agree. So I, uh, I, I put together a one single video. It's about an hour long on my YouTube channel. I put it together about the end of last year. I think it was December 2020. And it's a, I wanted it to be like a go-to resource for new Tesla owners. It's um, split up into different sections. And I try to explain everything about the car uh, to a new owner uh, from the perspective. So it talks about autopilot and charging and then interior and exterior and software, all that stuff, the app. Um, so I wanted it to be the ultimate resource. So it's, I got a lot of positive feedback. A lot of people say that it's helped them out a lot as new Tesla owners. And uh, so if you're a, if you're a visual learner, auditory learner, if you want to watch a video instead of reading the owner's manual, uh, go check that out. Just search Tesla guide on YouTube and you'll see it pop up at the top of the list probably. So thanks Ryan. I appreciate the podcast. Looking forward to the next episode. Andy, thank you very much for reminding me about this. Now, if you don't know Andy, he's a good friend of mine and he has been making great Tesla and great tech videos on YouTube for quite a while now. I highly recommend you check out his channel just in general. And if that welcome guide video that he mentioned is of particular interest to you or someone that you might know who's a new owner or soon to be new owner, please send them to Andy's channel. Jason from Temecula, California is up next. Hey Ryan, this is Jason from Temecula, California. I'm a Model S, Model 3, and hopefully soon to be a Cybertruck owner. I currently own two trucks, and my question is, with the Cybertruck and the stainless steel, I'm very used to having the Linex bedding for my vehicles. Uh, it just makes getting things in and out of the truck very easy, and you don't have to worry about denting the bed. Just want to get your opinion on that, and if uh, you think that's a possibility for future owners. Thanks for the podcast. Love the show. Hey, Jason, thanks for calling in. Well, if Tesla doesn't make a bed liner, they're going to be leaving money on the table. The abstract oceans of the world will jump on that and make a killing on it, as they should if there's a market demand for it. Because, you know, even though the bed is stainless and thus pretty resistant to abuse, you would still scratch the heck out of it when sliding lumber and other things in and out of there. Can you take those scratches out of stainless steel if you want to? Yes, definitely. But I would definitely still recommend a bed liner just to keep everything looking better back there. Nice and clean, nice and good. But again, you don't need one if you don't want one with the Cybertruck. Great question here. Next up, Walt from Manchester, California. Rush, Manchester, California. I have a question on something you had said either last week or the week before about the Model S's uh, losing their... Uh, connectivity to the uh, cellular service because of going to 5G. Is this going to be true also with the Model 3s? I have a Model 3 long range uh, rear wheel drive that was produced in uh, June of 2018. It's about VIN number 32,000s in that area, and I was wondering if it was going to affect me. And if so, what can be done to correct that since I have lifetime free connectivity? Thank you for all you do for the Tesla community. And give Daisy the Boxer a pat on the head for me, and have a great day. Hey, Walt. Well, I suppose it will eventually affect the entire rest of the fleet, including our Model 3s that are on 4G LTE. The March of Progress will eventually make 4G obsolete, just as it has with 3G. Though given the fact that the widespread 5G rollout has really only just gotten underway over the past year, and Tesla isn't even installing 5G chips in the cars yet... 
I suspect we are many years away from our cars having their connectivity taken away because of AT&T, which of course is Tesla's cellular provider in the United States, decommissioning their 4G towers. I honestly don't think it's anything to worry about for the life of these cars, but even if it does creep up, I suppose we'll just have the same choice to make. Pay a small fee to upgrade to 5G or 6G or whatever, or only be able to connect via Wi-Fi. Thanks, as always, for your calls, Walt. Next, going to Harai from Oregon. Hey, Ryan. My name is Harai, and I'm calling you from Oregon. Uh, I have a reservation for a Cybertruck. I've got a couple of dogs in my life, and I moonlight as a professional glass breaker, and I've got questions for you about all three. So I volunteer as a firefighter. Um, sometimes it's great for us to be able to break windows and extract people out of vehicles. I know that it, uh, most of the time, you know, having a bulletproof truck that has nearly indestructible windows sounds awesome, but I'm just curious if anybody's put much thought into what it looks like in the unlikely event that a cyber truck does get in a crash or, you know, especially if it went in the water, a vehicle that's bulletproof, uh, has such strong windows and doesn't have any door handles. Sounds like it could be sort of a nightmare for first responders. Um, then I've got two dogs who like to swim a lot. They're both about 50 pounds. It's nice to be able to put them, um, in the back of a, you know, a truck that has a canopy on it. Is there, you know, even room for dogs that size in the vault? Uh, is it possible to roll down that rear window and share climate control? Uh, any sort of thoughts about the cyber truck and dogs, particularly wet dogs in the bed, uh, is interesting to me. And then finally, with it being a stainless steel vehicle, I know you've talked about how uh, long the lifespan on the body of that is. What is kind of the lifespan of the technology? You know, I'm tempted to just go all out and get the tri-motor version. I don't have a need to update vehicles super often. So even, you know, 20 years from now, even though if the body is going strong, is the truck still going to be relevant from an electronic standpoint? Can you upgrade most of those systems or are there going to be some things that are going to you know, be limiting in terms of the usable life of the truck when it comes to the technology side of things. Thanks so much for taking the time to uh, answer any or all those questions and for doing the podcast. Hope you have a great day. Thank you very much for calling in. And how awesome that you do volunteer firefighting. That is an absolutely wonderful thing. With regard to the glass slash first responders, the answer to this for now is all the same thing I've said before. We don't know yet, but... Given Tesla's objectively, not even subjectively, objectively impeccable track record with regard to safety and crash testing, I think we have to give them the benefit of the doubt here. Or I guess, again, maybe not we, I choose to give them the benefit of the doubt would be the better way to phrase that. I have to imagine they've thought all of this stuff through, and we'll get those answers in time. Now, regarding dogs... Uh, I don't think you'd want to put them in the vault under the tonneau cover, if that's what you were asking with a, with a climate control that way. It'd be pitch dark when it's closed, for one. Maybe I'm just totally misinterpreting your question. But it's been asked whether or not there would be a pass-through and also whether or not there would be any ability to have climate control over the vault area with the vault, uh, the, t- the tonneau closed. We're waiting for an answer on that one. And your last question uh, is the one I feel like I can most confidently answer. The truck's going to be fine for decades. There will likely come a point where you just can't get any more software updates way down the road. Similar to having, you know, a really old iPhone now that maybe you've given to your kids where it works, but it's not supported anymore. I mean, look at it this way. 
The Model S, that's just about closing in on 10 years old, still getting software updates. But anyway, I mean, I think that's likely to be the case with regard to, to the OS and the software and the Cybertruck as well. It's going to be supported for a while, but not forever. It's also entirely possible that the screen and MCU assembly will be able to be swapped out and upgraded in order to keep it fresh and enabled it to continue getting updates. It likely won't be cheap if that upgrade ever comes around, but I would be surprised if that didn't happen. And that would allow you, as I said, to keep getting new software features for the you know long, long-term future. But in short, there's no reason to believe that you won't be able to enjoy a Cybertruck for a good 20-plus years, honestly. I hope that helps, Harai. Thanks for calling in. Jonathan from England is next. Hello, Ryan. This is Jonathan in England calling up about Elon's tweet that Tesla about to open up the superchargers to use by other EVs. The biggest problem I can see with this is that the charging points on EVs other than Tesla's are usually in different positions, often at the front of the car. And therefore, the car will be in the wrong spot to actually charge, probably in the adjacent bay, therefore blocking two Tesla chargers. And therefore, it's unless an extra long cable is fitted to be able to reach anywhere on the car, I cannot see this working. Cheers, Ryan. Bye for now. Hey, Jonathan. I suppose a car with a charge port on the front could just pull straight into the spot rather than back into it like a Tesla does. But if there are cars that have a fuel door on something like the left front fender in front of the driver's door, which I have seen EVs have, that could be problematic even if they're pulling the car in forward. You're right, though. I hadn't really considered that part of the equation. It's definitely not Tesla's problem to solve, uh, so I wonder what other automakers are going to do. Now, presumably they'll be, they have to make adapters at some point that can probably just double as extension cables. That seems like the most likely solution. Thanks for your call. As always, Jonathan, one more caller for this week, and it is Mark from near Vancouver in Canada. Go ahead, Mark. Hi, Ryan. Thanks again for all you do for the Tesla community. It's Mark from near Vancouver. Ryan, my wife uh, humbled me today with uh, showing me something with the climate control. Uh, I have a 2018 Model 3, use it lots, and uh, I never would leave the climate on auto, and I always found that the fans are blasting too much, but I never gave it long enough to show me how well it works. And today, it's a hot day here in Vancouver, it's about 27 Celsius, and uh she said, oh, just leave it on auto. Um, it, it'll, it'll adjust and it'll do what you want uh, and take care of it. Uh, so sure enough, turn the auto on and, uh, of course, the fan, you know, slows down. And basically when you get in a car now, uh, it blasts to start, gets at a nice cool temperature, and then um, drops the fan speed. So it sounds weird to say that's the pro tip of the week. But, again, I've had this car since 2018, and uh, uh, I didn't realize that. So, anyway, just thought I'd throw it out there. Thanks, Mark. I am happy to play your call in the event that there are others like yourself who've never given the auto setting a try. I can't help but chuckle a bit when I listen to your call with you, though, not at you, because 
I have almost never not used auto. So it's just it's just one of those things where everybody everybody approaches things and uses it different. I think I've only ever really changed it when we've had a lot of smoke in the air from wildfires in previous years, which sadly has happened now on a few different occasions in the three years since I got my car. But I seem to remember Elon recommending some specific settings for maximum air quality in the Model 3 cabin during those wildfire times, since we, of course, don't have the bioweapon defense mode in the 3 as the Model Y now does. Anyway, uh, I'm glad you've discovered the joy of the auto setting, and hopefully you are able to help some other folks out there in the process. Thanks for your call, Mark, and thanks to everybody who took the time to call in. Again, I love this part of the podcast. I love hearing from all of you. I think having all of your voices as part of this just makes this podcast better. So feel free to call in. I invite you. It is an open invitation. I gave you the two call-in methods at the top of this segment, so refer back to those. But stay tuned after this for your pro tip of the week, as well as my impressions of getting to drive the Model S Plaid. One quick thing before I talk about the plaid. Uh, I wanted to ask, has anyone else's slacker music been performing weirdly lately? And by that, I mean just not loading in new songs, uh, just skipping to the next song in, in the middle of one song. Mine has been acting very strangely lately, and I have no idea why. I don't know if it's a slacker issue or if it's something that the last software update broke on the Tesla side or what, but curious if anybody else is running into this or if it's just a unique problem I'm having, email me, teslapodcast at gmail.com. All right, Plaid Model S, I want to thank Emmett Peppers. Now, Emmett, you'll remember, appeared on this podcast. He was kind enough to grant me an interview the week after he took delivery. And he was one of the first 25 at the Plaid event back in June. And so his black Plaid Model S has the Plaid logo badge on the uh, on the trunk, which only the first 25 do. So that's pretty cool. And Emmett was incredibly gracious. I will just tell you real quick, it's this how this came about. I didn't ask. He offered. He was very kind. I wrote to him to thank him for doing the interview on the podcast. And he said, hey... If you want to come take the car for a drive sometime, let me know. So uh, obviously I was very interested in that and the timing worked out for it to be this week. So Emmett, you are a very gracious, generous person to have handed the key to your new plaid to, uh, you know, basically a stranger. I know you listen to the podcast and you don't consider me that, but for all you knew, I might have, you know... And a warrant for my arrest on like a bunch of reckless driving tickets, but thankfully that's not the case. But in any case, yes, thank you very much, Emmett. So the car, well, let me start with the yoke before I get to the obvious, which is the performance, because the, the yoke, obviously the other major, uh, I guess controversial is probably fair to, to phrase it, controversial aspect of the car. I will say, now granted I had about uh, three hours with the car, three hours of time, and I spent that time, uh, I showed it to a couple of friends. I drove it all around highway, surface streets, slow turns, high, you know, high speed stuff. So I used it in a number of driving conditions. And I will say, uh, I neither love nor hate the yoke. 
I do think everybody should try it before, you know, rendering their final opinion on it, certainly. But I will say this, in my initial three-hour impression, it doesn't seem to be any better than a traditional wheel. Nice as it is to be able to see the entire instrument cluster screen very clearly in front of you, that is cool. I mean, when you sit in it, it looks cool. I mean, you know, you have the big 17-inch landscape screen on your, to your right in the center of the dashboard. You have your new, uh, the revised instrument cluster screen directly in front of you and nothing obscuring that, the, the yoke. So it all looks cool. So I'll give it that. But functionally, yeah, I don't think it's terrible by any stretch, but I also don't think it's necessarily great. I do like the nine and three resting position that it's got. There's little, uh, there's a little kind of valley on top of the yoke, just uh, you know, just on the the edges where your thumbs rest while your your fingers, the other your other eight fingers are holding the yoke, and that's it's quite comfortable to hold it that way. I thought, and I really do believe. I said this before on the podcast, but I think that the reasons that Elon and the Tesla team did this are one to look cool, because we know that Tesla likes to do that, and two, because they want to keep your hands at nine and three all the time in a car that has a thousand horsepower and is the quickest production vehicle ever made. So that's what I think the reasons are. So you do need to keep your hands at nine and three uh, at at all times, and, and it's comfortable. I think it works. However, the optics problem on this, I don't think is going to go away, particularly on the Model X, though that hasn't started rolling out yet. And I say that because the X appeals to more family buyers than the S, which you know, the S is generally more of the enthusiast, performance-minded Tesla buyer in my experience over the years, whereas the X is, again, just more of a general family vehicle and putting the the yoke on the X, I just don't think, I think that's going to scare people off, which is counter to Tesla's mission. So I, I'm a, I wonder if the decision, it's one thing to, okay, dig your heels in if you're Elon and Tesla and say, nope, we're doing this on the Model S. But I don't know if it's the right call for the X. Like I can see it on the S, but man, I, I hope it's not counterproductive to the mission with regard to the Model X once that rolls around. But uh, now speaking about the buttons on the steering wheel, because of course the other part of this is there are no stalks. I liked the auto lane changes on autopilot where you just, your hands already on the wheel, you just tap the left turn signal and the car moves right over on autopilot. You're not, you're not taking your hand off to reach for a stalk to confirm or to signal a change that the car then executes on autopilot. So that felt pretty space age and cool. I didn't spend much time on autopilot in the car. I, I did test it out, obviously, but I was there to, to drive it, not to, not to let it drive me. But yeah, the buttons thing, they're strange. They are strange. They're capacitive touch buttons, as I told you about back after I attended the Plaid uh, delivery event. And as soon as I got in the car, I, I, w- I went to make my own profile so that I wouldn't mess with Emmett's profile. And so the first thing, so it's, okay, let's set 
you know, the wheel. So you can, you know, use the scroll wheels on the, on the, on the yoke to move it, to move the wheel, the yoke in or out or up or down. And immediately I hit the windshield wipers. And not only was that, you know, kind of a silly, embarrassing thing, but it also canceled out the yoke adjustment that I was trying to make. So I had to go back out of that, then go back into that. And that happened, no, no joke, three times of just trying to adjust, trying to just get the, the, the ergonomics set properly. So that's not great. That's not a great introduction to the, the yoke and specifically these capacitive touch buttons that are replacing the stalks. So, okay. So I get it set up and then I, uh, I adjust my mirrors and get everything where I want. And then I'm ready to hit the road and out on the road, I could not get the turn signal buttons to do the short, just three blink mode that you use for lane changes, right? Which I use all the time on my model three. You just tap your turn signal stalk down a little bit and it, and it just does blink, blink, blink. And it's done as opposed to, you know, pushing it all the way down where it'll stay on. I really like that functionality and Emmett thought it was there and it, maybe it is there, but for the life of me, I tried tapping the turn signal button. I tried just pushing it for a second. I and all I could do was get it to just turn on and stay on. So if that's there, I couldn't figure that out. Uh, now I didn't honk the horn, thankfully, cause that's a button up on the right side of the yoke. I didn't accidentally do that. Although I will say if I did need to honk the horn, uh, there's no way I would have been able to do it as a reactive instant thing without looking at it. I mean, again, over time, I guess you'd develop that muscle memory. Although, you know, you're probably not using the horn all the time on every drive the way that you are the turn signals. And that is certainly muscle memory that you're going to develop on the left side of the yoke. So, so I'm pretty iffy on those capacitive touch buttons. I mean, I think, uh, Marquez Brownlee said this in his reaction because he took delivery of, his, of, a, of a plaid himself. He was not a fan of those capacitive touch buttons. He thought that they should be physical analog buttons. And I, he might be right on that because it was definitely a bit strange uh, with these capacitive touch. But again, that's just a first impression, three hours, which isn't an insignificant amount of time, but it's also not living with the car either. But of course... You want to hear about the performance, what it's like to actually drive the quickest production car on the planet, which happens to be a five-seat full-size sedan to boot. And let me say this. Again, I had the unique privilege of attending the Plaid delivery event, and I got to go on four or five test rides on the Tesla test track Obviously, as a passenger, they weren't letting any of us <laughs> drive the cars. So this was my first time driving, obviously. And and I would say, I think the Plaid launch is psychologically, not physically, but psychologically more intense as a passenger than as a driver. Because as the driver, I knew exactly when the launch was coming. I knew exactly when I was going to lift my foot off. And also, you know, if you're, if you're doing full-on launch mode where you put the car into drag strip mode, it, the batteries warm up, and then you 
put the car, you have the, you press the brake all the way to the floor and then hit the accelerator and hold it and it puts the car in cheetah stance, lowering the front end down, prepping things for the actual full-blown launch. And when you do that, like, you know, you're, I'm, I'm pressed into the seat. Like my arms are, are rigid. They're holding the, the yoke tight and my feet, my, my feet are on the pedals. And so my back is being pressed into the seat. So I'm physically ready for this when I, when I let my foot off the brake and the car launches. And whereas the passengers, they're not, even if you tell them, you know, they don't know the exact moment that it's coming. So it's a pretty, it's a pretty intense situation. But um, I still, when I listen back to the audio later, because uh, one of the friends that I went and picked up, and and uh, you know, we they were videoing, and I and he sent me the video later, and you can hear me just like when I was, just like the audio you heard from me at the event, you can hear me like grunting, like it's just like a, uh, just a, it's like it's a physical response to what's going on, and just like when I was a passenger at the event. I didn't even realize that I was doing it. It's like a, it's just a, a, it's an unconscious reaction, physical reaction to what the car is doing. But what I really came away with is, yes, the launches are are unbelievable because I got right back in my own Model 3 performance and I found a quiet spot and just hit the pedal to to kind of get the immediate comparison between the Plaid and the Model 3 performance. And, and thankfully, my car still feels fun after that, but it's, you know, there's a huge difference, obviously, but just it's, whereas the, the Model 3 performance gives a nice kick in the gut when you hit, when you slam on the, on the accelerator pedal for a couple of seconds and then starts to taper off, the Plaid kicks real hard and doesn't stop. It's, it, it, arguably, it, it feels crazier when you hit like 70 which obviously only takes like two and a half seconds or something like that because it's still going it's still pulling with the same force you know that that torque curve that power curve is still peaked in the plaid so that's really what's wild about it is it just keeps going unlike the model 3 performance which tails off so it's really quite an experience again i'm grateful to have had it it's uh, it's certainly just unlike anything else on the road, and boy, I I don't think I would get tired of it. I really don't because in my performance three now, I launch it at every safe opportunity I I get. So if I'm at a if I'm first in line at a light, and and it's you know I can see clearly the cross traffic so that when it goes green, I I can see and make sure that nobody's gonna run the light. I'll hit it. I'll take a, you know, even if I'm only going up to 35, you know, I'm not going to necessarily, I'm not going to 60 every time depending on the speed limit, but you know, I enjoy my car. It feels good. It's fun. I don't think I would get sick of the plaid. I mean, it's crazy. And, and yeah, giving, sharing the experience with passengers is just as much fun as getting to be behind the wheel. I think that's, it was really a treat to get to do that. And so, Emmett, thank you again. I, I want to take you to lunch to thank you sometime. And uh, yeah, it was it was a treat. So if you ever get the opportunity to get behind the wheel of a Plaid Model S or when it comes out Model X, definitely take the opportunity. Try the yoke for yourself. 
experience the acceleration. It is, it is a, it is your own intense roller coaster ride. I mean, I I say that about my Model Three now, and it's true. Like it feels like my own little roller coaster with that that provides joy on tap, and the Plaid is just a more extreme, more even more fun version of that. So, uh, good times, good times with the Plaid. One more quick note, this email came in as I was recording the podcast tonight. Speaking of the Plaid, if you remember back to when the Plaid was first announced earlier this year, one of the features listed by Tesla was that the screen, the center screen, the 17-inch landscape screen, was supposed to be able to tilt. It was supposed to have a motorized tilt so that you could tilt it toward the driver or, I guess when autonomy kicks in, toward the passenger. The current delivered cars, Emmett's and all the rest, don't have that. At the event, Tesla said, oh, that'll come in an update later. Well, this source who I, I will keep, I need to keep anonymous and just say that I was sent proof. So I won't say who this person is or, or anything about them other than to say they sent proof of the Plaid not having motors behind the screen to tilt it. So my source theorized that perhaps it was a component source sourcing issue, and so Tesla made the last second change to just say, forget it, we're not going to do that then. But it appears, at least in the cars that are out there now, the screen will never tilt because there are no motors behind it in order to implement that feature. So uh, thank you to my anonymous source for sending that along. And, you know, I'm not I'm not a fan of passing along bad news, but it's news. It's it's legitimate information. There are plenty of you out there who have plaids on order or long range Model S's or X's on order that would want to know that. So uh, that is some uh, new breaking information for you as I record here late on a Friday night. Uh, Before I get to your pro tip of the week, a quick entertainment recommendation. While I was on my vacation, uh, if I can speak anymore, time for me to go to bed, clearly, I wanted to point out an excellent show on Netflix. As a DeLorean owner, I was obviously keenly interested in this, especially to see how they would treat the material. The show is Myth and Mogul, John DeLorean. It is a three-episode sort of a documentary look at John DeLorean, the man and his career and what happened with DeLorean Motor Company. And I was very, very happy with it. It did a good job of talking to all kinds of surviving people from that early 80s period, that late 70s, early 80s period when DeLorean Motor Company was was being founded and then building the cars. They even got what really made this one special is they spoke with Christina Ferrari, who is John's ex, well, I, yeah, ex-wife. They were divorced in 80-something right after the, the company fell. So, yeah, ex-wife. And uh, none of the other films or documentaries had had been able to get her to say yes. So it was very interesting hearing her perspective. They also got John's son, Zachary DeLorean. So it was really interesting to hear his perspective on it, too. But the documentary, it did a good job. It did a good job of, I thought, presenting both sides, that the fact that this guy did a lot of really, really great stuff in the automotive industry, he's a brilliant engineer, but also the not-so-great things and the the bad, very bad 
personal choices and business choices that he made uh, as well. So if you're keen to learn more about DeLorean, check that out on Netflix. Myth and Mogul, John DeLorean. John from Sacramento has our pro tip of the week. Go ahead, John. Hi, Ryan. This is John from Sacramento with a pro tip. I have a Perf 3, and this may be something that some people already know, but I just recently discovered it. Mine is a 2021 fairly new one with the uh, Chrome Delete, and it has the scroll wheels. And when in autopilot, full self-driving, and you're prompted to move the wheel slightly to make sure that you're awake and paying attention, I have found that you can flick the scroll wheel with your thumb up or down to increase or decrease the maximum speed, and the computer will treat it identically and not bother you anymore, at least not until it wants to know again. That I have found to be a tremendous help. So, hope that helps others too. Bye. Thank you, John. This one is definitely in the upper pantheon of pro tips. It's another one I've definitely featured before, but like a lot of the other best tips, it has been a while. What I will go ahead and add on to that is to note that you don't have to adjust the autopilot speed in order to check in with that autopilot nag. The volume dial on the left scroll wheel also works. So thanks, John. And again, if anybody else out there has a pro tip of the week about your Tesla that you'd like to share with the audience, please call in with it. You can send that call in the same way that you send in a regular Ride the Lightning Hotline call, which I told you about earlier in the podcast. And with that, let me mention some friends of the podcast. Let me first actually start with the Patreon. That is the primary way through which you can support the podcast. It is, of course, voluntary, but my hope is that over time, I either have or will earn your trust and earn your support because it is not given. It is earned. That is the thing. So uh, if you wouldn't mind, at some point, visit patreon.com slash Podcast. Patreon is spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N, and you'll see all the information there. I've got various support tiers. Each one has different perks and bonuses attached to it. As I say, I'll never paywall the podcast itself. I would never do that. But uh, if you do choose to support, there are some cute little fun things there like early access at the $5 tier, $5 a month tier, the extra bonus mini episode, and the early access at the $10 tier. And it goes on up. Uh, from there, I've got the, the $25 a month tier, the maximum plaid, which you get your name shouted out and all the other stuff and the monthly Google Hangout, which I've been having a blast at with that group of folks that I mentioned at the end of the podcast. So uh, maybe sometime again, once you feel like I've earned your support, visit patreon.com slash Tesla podcast. And there's, there are both monthly uh, support options, or you can just uh, do a yearly option too, and you even get a little 5% discount if you do the yearly option. So something to consider there. All right. Uh, abstractocean.com, your one-stop shop for so many wonderful aftermarket Tesla accessories from rear footwell lighting kits to full interior lighting kits. You either can just do brighter white LEDs uh, like the car already has, just brighter. Or you could pick up other colors. You could do all kinds of fun stuff with the interior lighting in your car. They also sell the tempered glass screen protectors that are great, the drop-in cup holder stabilizer, just 
Take a look, browse around abstractocean.com, pile everything into your cart that you like, and then at checkout, use the coupon code RTLPODCAST, that's all one word, to get 15% off of your first order. Meanwhile, the Snap Plate is the perfect solution for those of you who have to have a front plate on your car. Some states are pretty picky about it. Some aren't, they don't require it all. And then other states technically require it, but maybe don't seem to care as much. So if you're someone that either wants or needs a front plate on your Tesla, please consider going to everyamp.com RTL to take a look at the snap plate. They have them for all four Teslas and they are just a cleaner, non-adhesive way to mount a front license plate to your car. And it's able to snap on and off quickly and securely as well. So that if you want to take it off for a car show, for car washing, for uh, whatever reason, you can just take it off and then put it back on when you need to. So check that out. Everyamp.com slash RTL. Detail wise, if you are in or going to be in the greater San Francisco Bay Area, You'd better visit Immaculate Reflections, as I like to do from time to time, because not only is Jeff, the owner and uh, expert there, just a a wonderful person and an extraordinarily talented detailer, he's offering discounts to listeners of this podcast. So you can get in touch with him via his website, irdetailing.com. And if you do get in touch, and maybe you want to ask about how much... uh, you know, paint protection film would be for your car. Or maybe you want to do ceramic coating because you don't want to wax the car for the next three to five years because that's what ceramic coating will allow you to do. It's a, it's like a super wax. Maybe you want to do paint correction to correct any little flaws that either it has from the factory or that have been introduced into the paint over time. Or maybe you want to combine those, do two of them, do all of them. Either way, Jeff, I promise, will have your car looking amazing So check him out, irdetailing.com. You can also check out his Yelp page, if you don't believe me, yelp.com slash Immaculate Reflections, and his Instagram handle is Immaculate underscore Reflections. PureTesla.com slash RTL is your one-stop shop for your dash cam and sentry mode needs. Highly recommend that. I've used their product myself. It's a micro SD-based solution, so it is going to work long-term. I am... very much a satisfied customer. I've been using it for many, many months now. Actually, gosh, when is, is it maybe a couple years? It's been a while since I've been using it and it works like a charm. So it's only 49 bucks and it's free shipping anywhere in the US. If you want to step up to the 256 gig kit, that's a little more, that's $69. But either way, go to puretesla.com slash RTL. How about Jada? They have a wonderful line of products. The Jada USB Hub Console kind of combines all their products into one. Those are for the that's for the 2021 models. There's also uh, the Jada Tray, which I just got in my car recently, and I'm actually really happy with it. It's got a nice little, perfectly sized spot where it's it's a it's a wireless charger for your Apple AirPods or your Pixel Buds. They've also got there's a spot on there to the little magnet charger for your smartwatch and then just other little organizing trays and such. It's a, and it, and it, it bisects your center console horizontally. So it gives you like a secure lower compartment 
and an upper compartment too. So it's a really nice way to organize that center console in the Model 3 and the Model Y. So they've got that and then they're sort of long-term awesome, or I guess their oldest product, not long-term, I should say. It's just their their longest running product, that's what I meant, is the Jada wireless charging pad for those of you with pre-2021 Model 3s as I have. So any of those you want to get, uh, be sure to use the coupon code RTL for a nice discount. And please use my referral link when you buy. So type this in, getjada.com slash R-E-F slash eight. That is a referral link, full disclosure. If you order through that link, they will uh, throw me a few bucks from the sale. But hey, it's a, it's a two-way street. I get a little something, but I'm giving you the discount with the RTL coupon code. So hopefully we can help each other out on that. I think that is just about everything. Let's see. Yeah, we got the snap plate. We got the abstract ocean, the pure Tesla, the Jada. I mentioned the Patreon. So that's about it. Yeah, uh, be sure to follow slash subscribe slash whatever the podcast providers are calling it these days. Follow this show if you're not doing so already. You can do so on pretty much all the major podcast services like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, those last two being available directly in your Tesla. So yes, you can listen to this car natively through the, through listen to this podcast natively through your car. Oh, it is late. I got to go to sleep. Anyway, uh, I'm also on YouTube if you're interested there as well. There's no video, but if you just want to listen through YouTube because you have YouTube open in the tab all day uh, during work, feel free to do that. Just search Ride the Lightning Tesla. You'll find my channel easily and you can subscribe right there. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram or either or, either or both. It's DMC underscore Ryan on both of those. The email address once again is teslapodcast at gmail.com. And with that, let me just say hello and thank you to the Plaid Maximum Plaid and Roadster in Space tier backers, starting with the Roadster in Space tier crew. Thank you to Pete White, Lyle Austin, Steve Radspinner, my friend on Twitter, at Rodam, Fernando Cordero, Lawton from Chicago, Sean Neidig, Scooter Ward, Neil Weaver, Jackson Wallace, and Crafty Geek. Thank you all. Maximum Plaid. Thanks to Jonathan Wales, Cameron Clark, Daniel Grummer, Seth Capello, Nick and Tony, Tesla Hitchhiker 42, John Schmidt, Stan Roth, Howard Anthony Smith, Charles Galpin, Ryan from Las Vegas, Darren Nickel, Kaz Barnes, Ulrich Lassa, Brett Libano, Patrick Wisneski, Gil Cabrera, Hay Watley, Eric Brown, Mark Eversole, Todd Badger, Joe Edgel, Kevin Yank, the Tesla Owners Club of San Joaquin Valley, Michael Williams, MT, Will Stedman, Tyler Smith, Mait Suaru, Derek Nesselrote, Justin Perez, Jeremy Harris, Chris Beach, Tom Mills, Alex Brem, and Matt Kalen. Thank you all very much. And the Plaid crew, George Cassioppo, David Brander, Alexi Heft, Logan Willis, Jason Chalukas, Tim Hyde, Peter Chalet, Eric Randolph, David Nondahl, Jerry and Mary Smith, Joel Sapp, Dory and Steve Guberman, Jeremy, Tesla owners of Taiwan, Ron Lee, John Cody, Charlie Gillespie, David Perella, Sunil Joseph, Dennis Peake, 
Stig Mickey Jensen, Jeff Angwin, Chase Cabanillas, The Lydia Family, Michael Regal, Aaron Altshul, Jared Brown, Jerome Strack, Jamie Dalton, Noel and Lucy Murphy, The Tesla Owners East Bay Club, Paul Casarino, Ryan Natchett, Mike and Barbara from Louisville, David J. Howes, Travis Krenzel, Matt Nixon, The Tesla Owners Club of Wisconsin, Jonathan Zelezny, Joshua Walker, and Rick Dean. Thanks to all of you for your very generous and continued Patreon support. It is the Patreon and that support that is uh, really allowing me to continue putting the uh, amount of time and energy that I do into this podcast. But I do take a lot of pride in that, which I hope shows in the product that you listen to each and every week. So with that, I will bid you adieu for episode 315 for a snoozing Daisy the Boxer. I am Ryan McCaffrey. I'll see you back here next week with a recap of AI Day and whatever else happens in the always busy world of Tesla news. Happy electric motoring, my friends. I mean, I think a Tesla is the most fun thing you could possibly buy ever. That's what it's meant to be. Our goal is to make... It's, it's not exactly a car. It's actually a thing to maximize enjoyment. It's maximum fun.